in my mind, I knew God was fixing to speak to me. Mm. So I waited. And then I thought, I need to go use the bathroom. So I started to get up. And when I say the voice of God spoke to me, this is, this is for real. He said, your lack of commitment is leading others to their lack of repentance. And I said, what? And I, I sat back down and I put my hands on the edge of my bed. And I said, God, is that you? He said it again. Your lack of commitment is leading others to their lack of repentance. And I just sat there and cried and going back to sleep every day every day is in my mind hey guys this is brian and i'm tony and you're listening to the crucial conversation podcast tonight brian we are interviewing chris taylor um, he said over there sipping coffee. I know you all just heard that, but anyway, he for those who don't know, he was a MMA fighter, correct, Chris? MMA, you're right, you got it. And um, your nickname was "Don't Ask for a Rematch." <laughs> We're having a rematch tonight, Brian, because I accidentally deleted the podcast episode we've already recorded with him. And your exact words were, "Dude, are you kidding me?" Good setup, but factually inaccurate because I've always called Chris, Chris, don't ask for a rematch, Taylor, but that is not his actual nickname whenever he was fighting. His actual nickname was the wild man. Chris, how did you get the nickname the wild man? But basically because I would just do stuff other people wasn't willing to do in there. I, <laughs> I would, I would, uh, because I was the wild man. Did you ever bite anybody's ear off? Mm. <laughs> hey, here, here's a more serious question did you ever drop kick somebody i, I did drop kick somebody <laughs> i did i did yeah i was we were watching a facebook live one time uh will never chris's uh former training partners that actually went pro in the ufc alan belcher and his uh, coach at the time uh whenever he was training was max bishop they were doing a recording together and chris got on there and commented and they said oh there's chris the wild man and max bishop said dude it was the craziest thing i'd ever seen oh i, I remember Remember he, that he, he that the bell rang and he ran across the cage and he dropped kicked somebody. <laughs> sure did. Well, was that in the high stand fighting system? Did you learn that? Uh, no, that was that was from the streets of Jonesboro. <laughs> streets of Jonesboro. <laughs> streets of Jonesboro. Well, guys, let's let's do it a little formal here. Uh, Brian and I are are glad you're sitting down with us again, Chris. It was honestly it was something that we'd already talked about, but I did. Um, delete your podcast and for that I do apologize thank you <laughs> but we're glad you're here with us tonight um, tell us a little bit about who Chris Taylor is man I am Chris Taylor go to church at the Pentecostals of Jonesboro got two beautiful kids Grace and Hannah uh, my girlfriend's Chelsea gotta give her a shout out uh, it's my pastor's daughter God bless him um, that's it that's, 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 that's me well Chris is a um, dynamic Bible study teacher. That's 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 his role here at the POJ. Um, Chris, you talk to a lot of different people with a lot of different backgrounds about 
um, not just Christianity, but about the apostolic faith. Tell our listeners a little bit about um, your your Bible study, who you like to reach out to, and um, really your passion. So I teach quite a few Bible studies here. <clears throat> I'm not the only Bible study teacher here, of course. There's, there's several Bible study teachers here. But my passion is, is basically keep my eyes open looking for people who are maybe somebody's broken, maybe somebody uh, I start a conversation with somebody or somebody starts a conversation with me. And basically what I, I would consider myself good at is just making friends. I'm pretty good at making friends. I'm pretty good at connecting with some people. And uh, from there, a lot of times I'll, I'll, I'll catch a Bible study or I'll hang out with somebody and they'll have questions considering church. Uh, in this area of Jonesboro, there is a ton of churches. So uh, sometimes it's not, it's not always the best thing to do to invite people to church. So I'll just talk to them and maybe invite them to a Bible study or something like that. And uh, that's, that's, that's basically how I do it. You know, it's, it's a great way to start off witnessing to somebody and trying to get somebody in the church is rather than just trying to invite random stranger, but invite a friend. No, build a relationship with people. Absolutely. Chris, you haven't always been in church to where you are this magnificent Bible study teacher. Um, take us back to when you you had no connection with the apostolic faith whatsoever. Tell us a little bit of your, your, your background here. Before I got in church? Yes. Oh, well, that's a long road. Um so I wasn't born in America. I was born in Mutlang in Germany on a military base. My grandpa was military. <clears throat> my grandma, uh, she she was there, and my mom was with her. So I was born over there. I, I come to here. I come to the United States maybe when I was one or two. I grew up going to Catholic church with my grandma. Uh, numerous churches, you know, non-denominational Baptist churches, uh, maybe a Methodist church here or there, or something like that, with my mom. And then I was just maybe a normal kid. I played soccer as a kid, but I didn't play any any sports. Uh, rollerblade? Yeah. Ro- oh, no, I did rollerblade. Let me give a <laughs> shout out to some aggressive inline skating. <laughs> I had no idea that you rollerbladed, oh, Chris. Oh, bro, I was I went to the '98 uh, X Games, Mission Beach, San Diego. Oh yeah, I was there. How, how have I known you for ten years and did not Are know you this? Serious? I'm dead. Man, to you. I was I was for real. So can skating. you still lace lace up some blades now? You know. Can remind me that we're talking about my past because I'll forget. But let me tell you a little story here, real quick. <clears throat> I'll interject here. So you know, I got the bright idea, like last year, to buy some new rollerblades. So I got some skates, some aggressive inline skates, Razors Genesis Nine, like Nine Point Ones. Ordered them. I custom. I got them all custom made. So, so I'm I'm FaceTiming my girlfriend Chelsea, and I'm like, you know, I'm rollerblading through my house, and I got hardwood floors. And I forgot that I'd sprayed some Febreze all through my house. Well, it had made a film <laughs> over the hardwood floors. So I'm FaceTiming, and my, I hit the slick spot. You man. went from rollerblading to ice oh, skating. Man, my feet come up over my head, and, sh- you know, she's she's like, what's going on? Boom, I hit my back in the middle of my living room. Nobody's there. Just she's on the phone, and I'm just laid out. And I hadn't even got out the front door, and I'm just laid out. So, so you know, I get up, and I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to let this keep me down. So I go out and I go to this skate park and over off Ray Street. So y'all know about this skate park off Ray Street. It's hood. It's 
you know, I've graffitied half of it, but it's got graffiti all over it. And I, I go out there, and I'm not there 10 minutes, and I tear my ankle to pieces. Uh, you know, I'm just laid out on the concrete. So I tried to do some rollerblading, but when I rollerbladed, I, I weighed probably 120, 130 pounds, and I'm 250. So no, no more rollerblading. So anyways, rollerblading was a big part of my past. I, I loved to skate. <clears throat> Uh, I started skating when I was 11 or 12 with some guys in McGee, Arkansas. Give a shout-out to them. Dougie Smith, we call him Odie. Justin Hackett, we call him Hutt. A couple of my buddies from back in the day got me interested in rollerblading. But, um, uh, you know, I grew up a little bit, and I tried to play some football in McGee, and, man, I just uh, it just wasn't for me. And I tried to play basketball in McGee, and I was shooting in the wrong goal for the other team. It was horrible. So i just never been good at sports, but – you know, as a kid, I got in trouble a lot. Uh, uh, you know, when I come back to Jonesboro when I was 13 years old, I was in and out of jail all the time, in trouble. I was on probation from the time I was 13 till I was maybe 19, something like that. I was in jail 13 times before I was 18 years old. Uh, I was just all, you know, I just didn't have a care in the world. I never had a dad, never met my dad. My mom tried to raise me, but she was a nurse. She was RN, so she worked all the time. And, you know, my grandma was constantly trying to tell me to be good, but I just didn't listen to her. So I, I never really had a, a former church life. Uh, I just kind of ran the streets and did what I want, you know, before I got, before I got in church. So. You had a stepdad that started getting you into boxing, correct? Uh, or not my a mom's, stepdad, my but mom's a boyfriend. boyfriend. Yep. Yeah, his name's Justin Booth, and he's, he's a great, great guy. Um, he's actually from Memphis, and he got me hooked up with some guys from Memphis, and I got into doing some boxing with – uh, Jeff Mullins and some people over in Memphis. Jeff Mullins, a judge for the UFC. <clears throat> so that so that was kind of a transitional period in my life, where I was getting in trouble for for you know just just basically being a hoodlum on the street and getting in getting little fist fights here and there. And so my mom's boyfriend Justin was like, you know, you're gonna end up getting hurt, kid. You you need to go to the gym over there. And I know these guys, so he sent me over there. Well, my first day over there, I got crushed. I got humbled, and uh, I'll, never, I'll never forget walking into that gym, just the, the smell of that gym. I'd never smelled anything like that. I'd never been around those type of people. And uh, so I trained over there in Memphis for a while, and then uh, Jeff sent me back here to Jonesboro, and I started training with a guy named Alan, Alan Talent Belcher for a little while, and Alan ended up, <clears throat> he ended up turning big-time pro, and he moved down to Bluxy, Mississippi. He has several schools down there now. Uh, he, he made a run for the title in the UFC in the middleweight division. He fought Bisping and a lot of other people. So he's a very, very talented guy. And he taught me – he t not only taught me a lot about fighting, but he taught me a lot about life. And uh, ultimately from there, Alan Belcher hooked me up with his instructor, who was Max Bishop. And Max was primarily my, my coach for years. Max taught me more about fighting in one day than anybody else combined the whole time. So Max, still to this day, holds a very special place in my heart. He's he's a good friend of mine, and w whenever he had, you know, if he addresses, uh, if he addresses a conversation about me, he always speaks highly of me, and uh, I'm much appreciative <clears throat> of that. So that's kind of that's kind of where I was at. But I was living with a friend of mine's dad uh, when I was 18, and he helped me out a lot, also a lot. So before we move on, I want to ask you, what is the biggest life lesson that fighting taught you? Don't give up. Don't give up. You're tough. You can push through. Keep keep your nose to the grindstone. So uh, did you begin formal training before or after you went to the felony side? I was training before I went to the felony side. 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, when I was 18, I got in a really bad. It was it was it was on the news. It was a real bad deal here in Jonesboro. What he's talking about is I got in a, a fight with two brothers who are now my my good friends, and I won't put their name out there, but they're they're good people. But back then, everybody that I ran around with ran around with we was <clears throat> we was all just rowdy and I got in a fight with two brothers and hurt them pretty good and uh, so I, I got locked up for that and uh, I was an m3 felony side but it, I'm not a felon it got dropped to a misdemeanor and it got threw out of court so so when you were in the m3 felony side and you realized you were facing some serious time what did that do to you not as a um, a fighter but as a man, what did that do to you? You were facing some pretty significant time. Well, I didn't want to be there. I didn't like jail. You know, I, I, can, I can remember the first day, the first time I walked into juvenile. I, I can remember everything about it. I didn't want to be there. It was, it, was a, it was different, but ironically, I knew quite a few people in there. So, you know, there was two, there was two parts of me. There was a part that said, I, I don't want to be here. And then there was a part of me that at the time, was like, you know what, you're here. You might as well make the best of it. This is who you are. You know, you, you got yourself into this mess. This is, this is who you are. Um, I can, I'll never forget my cellmate was a man, and his name was Terry Green. And he was a friend of mine who I went to, to, to school with at this school called CCLC. It was an alternative school. <clears throat> it was da- Daniel Green's dad. And he said, I said, Terry Green, I said, you related to Daniel Green? He said, yeah, I'm his dad. He was in there and he was getting ready to go to prison, something like that. And he was like, "You might as well, you might as well just uh, get ready to be here, make yourself comfortable. You're gonna be here for a while." And he said, "Here." And he got this little box out, and he had a bunch of thing and things of Raymond noodles, you know. And I was like, "All right, you know, at least I got some Raymond noodles because I didn't want to eat no jail food." And it was, uh, I think I was in there for maybe two weeks, something like that. I can't remember; it's been so long ago. But uh, my my friend's dad, uh, my friend Kevin Lawrence, his dad, Mark Lawrence, he's passed away now. Uh, but he he's just uh, he's just a wonderful, wonderful man. He he still holds a uh, uh, you've met him, Brian. He holds a high place in my heart. But he got me out of everything, and I and from there is where um, Kevin's dad, Mark, and Kevin, I, I stayed with them for a number of months. And this is right before I got in church. And what Mark would do to keep me out of trouble. You know, this is this is pre-church. So what Mark would do is on the weekends, he would rent me fights. He still, you went over there with me to watch fight. And he would say, Chris, if, if you will work with me and do your roofing on the side, if you'll work with me through the week, uh, on the weekends, you know, I'll buy you, I'll, I'll take you out to eat or I'll, I'll buy you food and we'll bring it here to the house. <sighs> Excuse Tony. <laughs> and, uh, and, and we'd, you know, I, back then I, I drank alcohol, so I'd, I, he'd buy me some alcohol and we'd play cards and watch boxing watch MMA and and I, I he'd keep me in on the weekends uh, and this and this went on for several months but uh, he just still to this day even after I became a Christian uh, he respected that and and we even grew closer after that so Mark really helped me out quite a bit so what was the journey like that brought you from the fighter background in and out of jail uh, to come into the church for the first time it was it was different. It was a totally different lifestyle than what I'd lived. The 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 language, the lingo, the the when I say lifestyle, I mean a, to, a totally different lifestyle than what I'd lived. 
Uh, it was night and day as a different different people. You know, I'd never seen anyone actually pray. Uh, you know, now when I was a kid and I'd go to church, they'd say a prayer, but I'd never actually seen a prayer meeting. I'd never seen, I'd never been in a real Bible study. I'd never seen real worship. Uh, so, so the first time I, <laughs> the first time I walked into our church, I was met with a real worshiper, Anthony Brown. Um, and they call him the airplane saint. He's passed away now also. And a lot of people have passed away. Uh, but but uh, he was a worshiping machine, uh, the, most, the most joyful, real Christian man you could ever imagine is Anthony Brown. And so, uh, you know, I, I came into the church from that lifestyle thinking these people are crazy. I was a little crazy myself. And as I came in, the people loved me. The, the pastor at the time... He wrapped his arms around me. He never once, uh, ne- nobody, for that matter, ever shunned me or or even told me to to when I walked into the church, oh, you're, you're not living right. Nothing like that. It wasn't nothing like I had expected in my mind. They just loved me. They just accepted me for who I was. So when you got into church, you were married at the time, correct? No, no, you, I wasn't. You were not married. I wasn't married at all. Uh, okay. I'd had my son out of out of wedlock, so I, I wasn't married yet. Were, were you? In, when did you become engaged to be married? It was in two thousand six. What? What? Well, you came into the church and mm-hmm. you felt like right at home. What did your bride to be? Did she? Did she welcome this new change? With she you? was the one that said we needed to get in. She brought me to church. Her and her family. Uh, I had no desire to come to any church, much less a a. You know, a, a, a spirit. I would say a spirit-filled church at that time uh, is what I thought in my mind. I didn't even know what that meant, but that's that's what they were telling me. Oh, it's a spirit-filled church. Uh, that was kind of the language at the time. You don't, you know, you don't hear that much so much anymore. But um, so it was. Uh, they they invited me into this and said, "Oh, you know, uh, you need to be in this." And I, I said, "Okay, whatever. You know, I'll go." So because I had had uh, a little boy, uh, you know, I had I had a, my son Grayson. And, uh, of course, in my mind, I was like, hey, you know, I, I guess I should. it might be good for me. I don't know, whatever. And I just came. And so when you were here, now how long did you say it was until you were like, oh, my gosh, this is real? Within months. Yeah, it, it was it – was, it didn't take very long at all. You know, um, for, for the, a lot of the listeners, I don't know who's going to be more secular and who's going to be more Christian. So I'll just tell you the way, the only way that I would know how to explain it is that um, it was within a year after I'd come to the church, my first service, where uh, God was really working on me. God, God was showing out in my life. God, I had received God's spirit. I, I had been baptized in Jesus' name. Um, those type of things within, within a year. So... It was within a year that I'd started rocking and rolling in the church. How hard was it for you to let your past and who you were, how long did it take you to let that go? I'm still letting it go. How hard is that? It's unbelievably hard. People will say, oh, I just dropped it just like that. I'm not like that. I still, I still, uh, I still have parts of my past that when I'm pressed come out. So it's, it's a... I'm just, for me, um, there were things that I laid down, and when I laid them down, I laid them down. 
right then and there. I stopped. Chris, um, you told me a story a long time ago that I would love for you to share with our listeners. I don't even know if you'll even remember this story. I'm sure you will because it was. I'm sure it's a big bookmark in your life. I want you to share the story about the night that you put your fighting gloves in a duffel bag and set them down and said, no more. Well, that's happened on actually more than one occasion. But I'll, I'll tell you, one of, one of the things that was a major impact on me that's, that's, that's standing out right now, uh, you guys know Paul Bass. Have I, have I told you about this with Paul Bass? I'm not sure. I worked with Paul at Jonesboro Overhead Door when I first got in the church. And when I first got in the church, I didn't just stop training and stop fighting. I still had fights going on. And, and uh, the team that I train with, you might fight five, six times a night, real straight up. I'm talking throwdown fights with different members of my team, with people who would come in wanting to fight on a show. So I stayed busted up. My eyes would be blacked. My nose would be cut up. My ears, I, I, I would have my ears taped up. Um, I, I worked with Paul Bass, and I was going to church, and Paul went to a different church in our city, another apostolic church. And he said, you know, Chris, I was working with him. He said, um, you sure are training a lot, and, and you're getting pretty busted up. He said, I wonder where you would be with God if you stopped training and you put that time towards God. And he don't know that it affected me the way that it did. And I, I said, man, where would I be? And it just put things in perspective for me at that time. And I never fought again. I never fought again. I, I'd, I'd kind of winged my way out of the fighting. I still trained. Uh, I winged my way out of the fighting. I trained, but I didn't train like I was training. And ultimately, that was what led me just to, to, to uh, dive more into the church. So. Sure. I remember that the first time you ever invited me over to your house, the house that you were in at that time, you would walk in the front door, and to your left was the living room, and to your right was the kitchen. And on that kitchen, or on that refrigerator in the kitchen, there was a picture of your mugshot hanging there on the refrigerator door. Mm-hmm. That was a time past. Why would you do something like that to constantly bring up your past after you've 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 changed your the way you live? Somebody told me to put that on there. I can't remember who it was, but they had did that. Somebody I don't I don't remember. They were in our movement. I don't I don't remember who it was, but somebody had done that, and I said I'm gonna do that too, just to remind me of where I came from, and that I don't ever want to go back to that. One more question on that: How important is it? to remember where you came from for me I'm reminded of it quite often because of the people that I I'm engaging with on a daily basis you know I, and it helps me it helps me whenever <clears throat> you know I'm not only uh, it's not only a bible study thing it's just a it's just a loving people thing when you're engaged with different people from different walks of life I never forget where I came from I, I can't forget where I came from so so you went from being the picture on the mugshot to being apostolic. I remember I would watch old. I mean, I came came in uh, possession of old DVDs from the church, and you could go back and you would see you were one of the the main worshippers in the church. Still is, and still still are, yeah. and especially back then. Like it it because 
course I knew you, and so I knew yeah. to look for you. And and you were you've always been very instrumental in that journey in that in that in between time. You were filled with the Holy Ghost. You were baptized in Jesus' name. And where you're at today, as a Bible study teacher, the seeds were planted in you back then, because on Monday nights or Thursday nights, or even both, you were at the church being taught Bible studies by your pastor. What was it in those Bible studies that you said, "I got to grab a hold of this"? It was, it was all about a baseball game. It really was. <laughs> Tony's interested because he's Tony's, a big baseball fan. You, you want a Bible study? Give me that baseball talk right quick. You know, quick. Genesis 1 and the big inning in the beginning. It's all about a baseball. <laughs> it's kind of corny, isn't it? <laughs> it is corny. Now I want to know your true story. But, but you know, it, it was things that, you know, one of the things that just clicked, If it's in the old? It's in the new. If it's in the, like little slogans, little little catchphrases that, that, that uh, put this put this nugget in your bag. What's the you Bible know, all about? Yeah, all about the first five words of the book of Revelation. You know, so... Uh, there was all these things, but I can remember one thing that clicked in my mind is is the 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 dream of uh, Jacob and how the he saw the angels and they were ascending and descending. And I'm sitting there in this Bible study, and I'm like, "Yep, good." And and and, and the, my pastor at the time said, "Did you catch that?" I said, "Catch what?" He said, "They're ascending and descending. They're already down here." And they're going up. And, it's so, you know, now I look back on it. I've heard that so many times. It's like, oh, they're listening. They're already here. That's good. But at the time, I was like, oh, they're here. They were up. I didn't even know that, you know. And, and, and it just, man, it just clicked. So there was, you know, the, the and it, it wasn't only those Bible studies. It was just learning the book, the book in general. Because I'd never learned the book, you know, I'm still learning the book. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm just a novice in, in my and, own. And that's opinion. how I was too. I, so. I was coming in on Monday nights thinking, "Oh man, I already know that book. Yeah. I already know the Bible." I was that. I was number one draft pick on the the church uh, Bible quiz team. I mean, but whenever I started going through those Bible studies, and then I'd be hit with, "Well, yeah, hey, if it's in the old, it's got to be in the new." Yeah. And then we would jump from Genesis over into the Book of Matthew, and we would relate and tie the two together. And all of a sudden, this tapestry starts coming out, and all everything oh, yeah. starts matching. And what was was prophesied in the old, I can see it in the new, and then mm. it's just all coming alive. And suddenly, the book, the Bible, goes from being a book to to suddenly it's a living word. Yeah. And so I know. That changed my. I would not be here today doing this podcast if I hadn't showed up on those Monday nights. Sure, because whenever we first walked into that Bible study, like you were saying, whenever I first learned what the Bible was all about, those first five words of the Book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Whenever I learned that from that moment until this moment, my life has been forever changed, and it's always been a journey in me to begin to understand more and more and more about that revelation of Jesus Christ because it's a constant unveiling. We're learning more and more about God. God That's the word, unveiling. Yes, he's so infinite. He's so, you know, it's hard for our human minds to understand. It takes a lifetime to be, the longer you live, the more that you study, the pop, 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 and you're just seeing all these different things, and it just becomes more and more real all the time to me. Yeah. Are you in the same? 100%. So, so let me still still to this day. Yeah. At the time of this recording, Chris, we have not released an episode with a guest that Brian and I truly enjoyed being with. Uh, and I'm not going to say anything about it except for he had this quote that he said and 
as soon as he said it, it gave me chill bumps, and me and Brian locked eyes and were like, yes, that's that's the truth. But he said this phrase that today's apostolic preaching needs to have more teaching in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I will never forget um, the same Bible study teacher that you're talking about is specifically the reason that I really wanted to come to Jonesboro. Mm-hmm. I can tell you the exact, that was almost 10 years ago, I can tell you the exact first Bible study he taught. And my question to you is, what's the importance of having a man in your life that can pour into your life? Oh, it is it is of the utmost importance. It is, I have, I have several people that pour into my life right now. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be on, on this walk with God without someone who would be considered a, a spiritual influence, a spiritual accountability partner, someone that can, has what we would call veto power in our life. I have plenty of friends that I conversate with, Word of God, but I have people that also, they pour into me. Um, so it is, it is one of the most vital tools of being a Christian's, uh, in a Christian's bag. It, it is one of the most vital tools. And I'm blessed, man. I got some people. I got some heavy. I got some heavy hitters. One thing that I loved about our church when I first moved here, actually, it had been about four years after I'd moved here, so it wasn't once I first got here. We, all, all three of us, attended the ministry development class taught mm-hmm. by Pastor and Jess Gay. Mm-hmm. And Jess said something. I hold Jess Gay up at a high standard. Absolutely. What a great guy. Great man of God. Um, but he said something. He said, if you're going to be a man of integrity, he said, I'm not even talking about ministry here, but if you're going to be a man of integrity, you have to have at least three men you hold accountable in your life, mm-hmm. yourself accountable to in your life. From that day forward, I picked three men that is not yes men, that is not men that will pat my back, but they are men that will come to me and say, hey, dude, you're doing something stupid. Knock it off. Chill mm-hmm. out. And, you know, th- I feel like that's very vital, especially in today's world, to have somebody who can talk to you and tell you, hey, right is right, wrong is wrong, Absolutely. and you're doing the wrong. Yep. Uh, so you, this is, uh, again, this is one of those crucial conversations. It's absolutely crucial. If you're going to be successful in ministry, if, you're, if you don't want your ministry to implode, if you don't want your marriage to fall apart, you, there's all kinds of different things that have being accountable to the people. If you're married, a great person to be accountable to is your spouse. A uh, great person to be accountable to is your pastor. And 100%. Chris is sitting here today because he had people in his life that he was accountable to. Because there was a time I want him to, t- to talk to us about this, as that in conversations that we've we've had uh, off air before, um, there was a time that I think it was your birthday that for the, since you got back in church, you kind of relapsed back into your old life and you you drank some alcohol, mm-hmm. and there was a conviction that was in you that you were like, man, I gotta clear the air with my pastor. And when you went to him, it wasn't out of condemnation, his response to you. But I, I want you to tell us the behind the scenes of that meeting and what happened in that room and what it meant to you. And before you do, I would like to say that if it weren't for these accountability men, true men of God, Chris, you wouldn't be sitting here right now. 100%. 100%. There's, there is, there is, uh, 
there is no doubt about it. Uh, I'm a product of the people who have poured themselves into me, and I am nothing of myself. So uh, it's, not, it's not because I'm anybody. It's because of people who just basically said, get up and come on. So, so the time <clears throat> that I've, I uh, stumbled a little bit, this would have been in 2009. Uh, we had a revival here. Revivals are vital, I always say. you got to be careful in a revival. We're in a revival right now. Um, but we were in a revival with a, with a powerful evangelist that came through. And um, I'm, when I say powerful, in my opinion, this man is just, he's powerful. And it was on my birthday. Uh, the, the guy's name was Robert Tisdale. Uh, you, you, you type his name in, he pops up. He holds revivals everywhere. He is, he is brilliant in the Word of God. He is brilliant with how he delivers the Word of God and connects with people. And that's the big thing is he is able to connect with different types of people. And, and you know what, man, he's, he's amazing. He is a very powerful man of God. So he came around 2009. We had some revivals. Uh, I believe it was 2009. But anyways, <clears throat> so we had a lot of people come in through this revival. And I am actually still friends with some of these people. Uh, matter of fact, one one out of this entire revival, uh, he's the oldest brother of a group of brothers and he still holds a dear place in my heart. Uh, he knows who he is. Um, so uh, it, w- it was, long story short, it was on a Wednesday night, and it was my birthday. And uh, you know, I had a surprise birthday party thrown for me. And, and these people who were novices in the church, I just decided they'd bring some alcohol over. And, uh, and it, was, it, was, it was okay with some of the people there that there was alcohol there. And I w- wasn't wanting to be so... Uh, contentious with these people and I decided to drink a little bit of alcohol I honestly didn't drink very much uh and I, I you know I just felt like I'd killed somebody I mean it just I didn't want to but I did and I felt like yeah because I'd held that such of a high standard to myself that I have overcome this uh but when I when I did that it, it hurt you know it hurt myself so so what was the conversation like whenever you could no longer bear the embarrassment and the hurt that you've done to yourself? Um, you went to your pastor. Well, that was the next night. <laughs> that was at Bible study. And so I, I can remember going into Bible study, and it was just him and I. And he said, you weren't here last night. And he said, I, I noticed you weren't at church. Because, I, you know, at that time, I didn't miss Wednesday night services. I didn't miss Monday night prayer meetings. I, I never miss services. Like I, I, that's one thing that I had, I had, uh, you know, I, pr- I wasn't proud of myself, but I took pride in that I was faithful to my church. Um, and he said he, he didn't say anything else. He just went on to tell me a story about some other stuff, and um, uh, and the story was powerful. It was something that happened in the church, and I, uh, the Holy Ghost just fell in there, and I got the Holy Ghost again, and I ended up telling him afterwards I didn't want to tell him. I ended up telling him, hey, you know, I slipped up last night. I fell. You know, I told him what I did, and he said, don't worry about it. Don't do it again. And that was it. Uh, of course, he don't know that on the inside of me having to tell him that, I, I was nervous and my, my hands were sweaty. And, uh, you know, it was almost like a kid having to tell his dad that he, he, he you know, he did something that wasn't good. Looky there. Tim's calling me. So Tim, for those who don't know, he goes to our church, and he's actually one of uh, Chris's disciples. Yep. 
and he's uh, right now uh, Tim who is hopefully a listener to the podcast I don't know if he is or not um, he's a he's kind of like Chris he's very bold he's willing to talk to anybody and uh, <laughs> sometimes he may be, get in a little over his head oh yeah um, but Tim actually uh, through his boldness in this table that we're sitting at, we had a Bible study uh, with, I think, six members of a different church denomination, uh, myself, Tim, and, and uh, another brother that goes to our church, Adam Dozier. And um, we, we um, because of the study that Chris has poured into Tim and the study that Adam has sought out and the study that I sought out, we were able to give a defense for our faith um, against a voice that would oppose uh, many of the things that we find that are critical uh, to sure. the church today. And Chris still is mentoring Tim and other people, and so that way they can all uh, have that strength in order to stand whenever someone's asking these hard questions about, about our faith. Uh, and so, Chris, do you want to say anything about that? Because I know we've recently had a conversation about it. Oh, man, Tim is... You know, Tim has been in church for for two and a half years. I can remember the minute that he that I made contact with Tim. I can tell you the story in full detail. Uh, what what I'll go into a little bit about Tim is that in two years, I have seen Tim Peels teach more Bible studies, witness to more people. As, as an unlearned, un, unfully converted apostolic. He's Let taught. me finish your sentence. Mm-hmm. Then people who spend their whole life in church. Then the whole church combined. The whole, the whole thing. It is just, uh, he is an honest person. He is honestly a person who he, he has tried to be sold out. I mean fully sold out. He's in the word. Every day, he's conversating with people about the Word all hours of the day. I, in the morning, I'm talking 6 o'clock, he calls me. Almost every morning. Uh, he is, he's a different breed. He's, um, you know, and I, 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 if I could be, if I could have been like Tim is back two years after I got in church, I don't, I don't even know where I'd be at right now. He's, uh, he's just unbelievable, so... I want to I'm proud of him. ask you two questions back-to-back, back, Chris. The first one is, how important is it to us as ministers or saints? You don't even have to be a minister to disciple people. You need to constantly, uh, whoever it is, in my opinion, you need to constantly always, if you're a saint, if you're a minister, whoever you are, you need to constantly be reaching up to someone higher than your level and reaching up to their level while at the same time you're reaching down to someone below you pulling them up at the same time so I don't you know I I personally believe this I don't think everybody needs to be discipling people I don't believe that I think there's some people you know what you don't need they don't need to be discipling people they need to be discipled Uh, I think there's some people that are good disciple makers they're good at bringing people into church and, and teaching them things, but uh, they're not good Bible study teachers. So I, I'm not saying that I think if, if, if you've got a burden to do that, God bless you, man, go do that. But um, it, is, it is of the utmost important, importance that people are, uh, are constantly not only being a disciple maker, but 
being made a disciple at the same time. A disciple is a constant learner, a con- not willing to give up, constantly moving forward and pushing forward. So I was in a car with somebody um, that's affiliated with our church, and I did not give get permission from them to tell this story. So I will keep their name anonymous here. But I asked this individual, I said, you could have went anywhere in any church. Um, you're at a time right now in your life where you could have went anywhere. You're, in, you're at an in-between place. Why in the world would you pick Jonesboro? And his answer just blew my mind. He said, Pastor Runyon's pastoral ship, everybody that pastors needs to come take a course. He said, our pastor is more, um, more focused on discipleship than he is about anything else. Because if we don't have, if we're not a family, if, if we are not hopeless here, we're in a hopeless world. But my second question is, um, there is somebody in your life that discipled you. And discipleship is important to you, Chris. I want you to tell us about someone who has made a huge impact on your life, and if it wasn't for them, things could have went a little bit different. Oh, man, there's 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 so many people. I mean, that that's the thing about uh, I'm kind of like a Heinz 57. So many people have had their hands on me. You know, so many people have spoken into my life. Um, you, you, you mentioned about pastor and discipleship. <clears throat> I'll tell a quick story. Uh, there was a, a home Bible study seminar in Cincinnati, Ohio, through Joel Urshan. Uh, if you don't know who Brother Joel Urshan is or his brother Nathaniel Urshan, look them up. Game changers. Bad boys in the faith. I'm talking... Holy Ghost gangsters in the faith. I mean, they're bad. Your brides just look at each other, smile. <laughs> Man, the boys, they, they boy don't gangsters play. gangsters in the faith. They are for real. So anyways, but I, I, I told Pastor, I said, I want to go up there. I, I want to go to that. I'm going to that. I want to go to that. He said, Chris, let's go. I said, really? He said, get your stuff together. Let's go. And we just took a spur-of-the-moment trip to Cincinnati. So we're on our way up to Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm driving this caddy. And, uh, and so we're on our way, and we're on the way, and, 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 and a, a winter storm warning comes up. And it's like blizzard. It's right in the middle of January. And you know, on the inside, I'm like, I don't want to go back home. I want to go to that survival study seminar. And, you know, this is going to be awesome. We pushed through it. And we, we, you know, it didn't even hit or nothing. While we're on our way, we come over the hill into Cincinnati, and I'm, you know, I'm driving. I got my phone out and taking pictures of Cincinnati, and I love Cincinnati. And and he's, you know, pastor's like, put your phone up, you're driving. So we get in Cincinnati, and we stay at this bad to the bone motel, and I can't even hardly sleep. I'm so excited about the next morning. This is on Friday night, this is on Saturday, and and I wake up and there's snow, just it's coming down, and and, and so they still had it. They didn't cancel it. I was worried they were going to cancel it. So we get there, we get to this Bible, home Bible study seminar, and it's, it, is, it exceeds my expectations. Through this, um, Brother Urshan was there, and it, but it wasn't put on by him. It's put on by a guy I'd never heard of, a man named Fazel Colbreth. Um, so I, I made contact with Fazel, and we just become friends, you know. 
Well, Brother Fazell starts, he, he speaks into my life every week. Blessings, brother. He, he'll give me maybe a short word. He'll, he'll give me a boost to con every single week. So that was one of the things about pastor being interested in discipleship. I mean, he just spur of the moment just drops everything. He says, I'll, I'll take you up there. You, he will do that for who I, I, can, I can tell you because, first off, his daughter's my girlfriend, so I get to get just a little bit of a glimpse into stuff that other people don't get to see. I get to see stuff other people don't see. I get to see him do things that nobody knows about. I'm talking about helping people that don't nobody in the church want to help. I mean, people, people that would just be shoved off to the side. And, and he goes out of his way. I can't tell you how many hundreds of times I've got to see that. So I don't know who you was riding with, but they're 100% accurate. When it comes to discipleship, when it comes to others, when it comes to, to, to loving others, that is the gold standard. That's what I reach up to and try to sponge off of. So, It's good that you have that now. Um, and the thing is about you is, is you're very self-driven. Uh, you're you're self-driven, self-motivated, witness to people. Um, thankfully, you have a pastor that that advocates that. Um, there was a time though that you were kind of dependent on a on the pastor at the time, and that pastor transitioned away from here. And you or I both had been going through Bible studies on Monday nights where we were being fed the word, but we weren't seeking it out on our own. We were just having it given to us. Yeah. You, in that same period of time, uh, your wife left you. Mm -hmm. You went through a nasty divorce. And so I know this is kind of backing up the conversation back yeah. to kind of where we were. But these kind of conversations are instrumental in, in what made you the man you are today. And there are people out there that have gone through, either they, they lost somebody they looked up to, somebody that was actively mentoring them, right? and then... There's so many people out there that have gone through divorces. Mm -hmm. I want you to speak to that because I know that, that you took these situations. It all kind of hit you at once. You took it very hard. And and I want to hear about the recovery process of, of these losses and, and how you had to not only seek the word out on your own, but what kind of battles you were facing mentally, spiritually, uh, what what was going on in that um, 2011 2012 kind of time frame? So I'll, I'll dig into this a little bit. So 2011, uh, I was I, I it it was out of the blue, but it wasn't out of the blue. There, you know, I, I was married at the time to the girl that brought me into the church. Um, we were going two separate ways, and I, I got some divorce papers. I'd expected that. I knew that was coming. I'd kind of mentally prepared myself for that. But what that was in, uh, in March, April 2011. So that was hard. I was in church, you know, and my grandma was there for me and my mom was there for me. Uh, what made it harder is that, um, you know, I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't have the finances to, to afford a good attorney, so I lost the custody of my kids um, at, at the time. Uh, she was she was going down a rough road. Uh, now I will say she's she's straightened out a lot now, and um, and and that's a good that's a great. But she's going down a rough road, so it was it was challenging. It was hard. It was different. But I stayed in the church. Um, at the same time, right afterwards, 
there was a transition where our old pastor resigned and he left. That's where I was left. Uh, you know, and I, I've said this, my, my grandmother passed away recently, and I said that it felt like I was climbing up stairs with no, really high up with no handrails. Like, I, it, it was hard to balance. It was, there was, an, uh, it's a, it's a weird feeling. Um, so, because I was alone, uh, now, Brian, you was there with me, and I, I tell this story multiple, multiple times to multiple people, you know, that one of the things that got me through was my friend Brian. He was right there with me. Um, also, I have a friend that I don't ever talk about. His name's Elia McNamara. He was a very good friend of mine. He was an old training partner of mine. He's younger than me, and, and, and he just kept me busy, kept me kept my kept my mind busy I, would, I went back to doing some MMA training but I wasn't training in big groups I wasn't fighting or anything like that he just kept me busy and it and it helped but you mentioned that it forced um, forced me to study on my own I was being fed being fed being fed so much that um, I was I was forced to get it for myself so that was a, a very 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 crucial time in my life where I was forced to, to get this for myself. Um, so, yeah. And I think everybody needs to go through that in a way. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, I'm not going into all the details, man. It was, no, it was, it was rough. No, I mean, I, I, it's hard and especially the situations that, that, that you faced. Um, but I think that every believer out there at some point, you've got to quit being like the baby chick in the nest yeah. that the pastor as the mother hen kind of, feed you at some point you need to feed yourself and so that argument people say well i'm going to switch churches because i'm just not getting fed there anymore you mm. ought to just starve to death i'm gonna be honest with you you ought to just starve to death if, if you've been going to the church for however many years and your argument about a church is well i just don't get fed there anymore at some point in the however many years you've been involved in church because the majority of the time the people i hear that from you know how long they usually been in the church their entire lifetime yep, yep. at somewhere in that you got to quit being the, like a baby in a crib and, sure. or like well, that. Here, here's how it is. You go to a restaurant. You order your food. They bring it out. They don't feed you. No, no. They sit it right in front of you. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, they're, they're, everybody at some stage in their life, they need somebody to, to feed them. Yeah. It's like feeding a baby. Absolutely. And, and then there's going to be a time that you're going to have to put it. The, the baby's got to pick the spoon up. And they may be trying to feed themselves and make a mess all over the place. That's why the ministry is there to try and clean up the mess. Oh, you think that? You believe that in the Word? Uh, let me clean that up because you don't understand that's not the most scriptural thing. or Your understanding yeah. isn't correct. But at, at some point, you're never going to get to eating the meat until you start trying to, to cut the steak yourself. That's true. I mean, growing up, man, I love some steak. Mm. But whenever I was growing up, my parents used to cut my steak up for me, and then I'd eat it. But yeah. eventually there was a time that I had to learn how to use the knife and yeah. the fork on my own. Otherwise, I couldn't go to a Longhorn Steakhouse by myself and yeah. eat because the waitress isn't going to cut my steaks up for me. Sure. Then you start cooking your own steak. <laughs> exactly. you got you got to learn to prepare those meals, especially mm-hmm. if you have a call to ministry. Absolutely. You cannot just your entire life be saying, Pastor, will you feed me? Pastor, will you feed me? You're always going to need a mentor in your life. You're always going to need somebody to be accountable to. But you don't need a personal chef. That's the truth. You should learn to cook your own meals. I want to tell you guys both a story. It's from a uh, preacher that's not affiliated with the apostolic faith, but um, very great motivational preacher, speaker, uh, very well-known. He tells this story about one day he was 
in the bathroom shaving, he had foam hanging off of his face, and he was looking in the mirror as he was shaving. And his little boy walks by, and he stops. And the dad looks in the mirror, and the eyes of his son and his son connects eyes with him in the mirror. That man saw who he was, and that little boy saw who he would become. He saw his dad shaving with that razor. And from that point on, the man that was shaving said, I have to hide this razor because if this little boy ever gets a hold of this razor prematurely, it could kill him. Mm. But what he doesn't understand, what one day will become a blessing if you get it too early, it'll kill you. Mm-hmm. What is, Chris, in your opinion, the importance of holding on to your calling no matter what you go through? Because you went through quite a bit whenever your wife had left you and you had you felt like you were all alone what is the importance of holding on to God's promise well first off it's important because you know you don't want to go back to where you came from and I, I remember where I came from and I, I truly love God I, I, I just I didn't want to I didn't want to fail God I didn't want to fail the people who who, who loved me and who I had who I had said this is truth this is what I'm this is who I am this is what I'm living for and if I would have if I would have turned my back on that I would have given up on God I would have given up on myself and all, all the people who I had said this is truth they would have they would have not believed it, it would have let them down too you know I'm not saying that's why I continued to go but it is part of the reason why I, I just continue to push through it. <clears throat> you know, everybody has a different. Everybody has had things in their life, uh, you know, different types of things. That that period, that 2011-2012, it was like a wild dream. It was just like a roller coaster ride in my life. There was so many things turning and happening at that time. Uh, you know, it, it was just unbelievable. It was it was rough, and then. You know, and, I can, I can remember for three days, darker. three days I didn't sleep. I, I, I prayed and I stayed home and I fasted for three days. I didn't sleep at all. And I don't ever know what came of that. I don't, I don't know what implications that had on my life, but I know that I'm still here today. Uh, I know that after that, man, I hit tough times. I fell numerous times, but uh, I continued to just keep going, I'm still going, I, and I sit on the front row. I, I would have to, you know, I would have to. I, I might mess, I might have messed up or something, and then I had to go. I, I sat on the front row and I just gritted my teeth and I, I took the word, I took the preaching, I repented and I went forward. I'm, I fell again, boom, fell down, uh, no stabilization, uh, trying to do this, trying to feed myself. At the same time, I had people helping me, people pouring into my life. Uh, I had a new pastor at the time. It's my pastor, Pastor Runyon, and he's here, and he's not from here, and he doesn't, he doesn't know my, he didn't know my story at the time, and he's trying to help, and I don't even know how to be helped because I never went through that, you know. So I'm pushing away a little bit. I'm, 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 I'm bitter. We all were because yeah. it just happened overnight. It seemed yeah. like it was, it was so hard, and here I am. I lost my whole family. I, I, I was alone, uh, you, you know, and I had, I had my friends. And I had my grandma and I had my mom, and uh, it was a new journey for me. It was it was like same walk with God, different road, different road. With a fishing pole. 
come on somebody <laughs> with a fishing pole. <laughs> to the that to was one of the things that, that helped lift Chris out of what he was going through was we went fishing all the time. We went fishing. And just getting together and having conversations with one another and and uh Chris has spoken with me many times about how um, those fishing trips, they were more than just fishing trips. Oh, yeah. We've all three been on some good fishing trips. On on two New Year's, we brought in the New Year's, yeah. and, and we were watching Bible study DVDs. Right. Our, just, just us watching Bible so study DVDs. So to the people who keep hearing that joy comes in the morning but is right in the middle of their night, what do you tell them? Don't stop. Don't give up. It, it, and, it, you know, joy does come in the morning. It just doesn't say which morning. Doesn't mm. say which morning. So tell us about one of your darkest nights because I know you've talked to us before about um, how I think you were coming back from when and you got probably, I would assume to me from what happened in, in your mind and in spirit, had to be one of the, the rock bottom of the lowest place that you can be. And thankfully a phone call came in at the right time. Can you tell us about that? Boom, yeah. Um, I was coming back from Little Rock. I'd went to visit a friend of mine who's down in Little Rock, and he was suffering from PTSD, good friend of mine. And I'd actually went down there to just kind of have some fun with him and, 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 and get away for, for a weekend. And I, I was driving back from Little Rock. And so I'm, I'm coming back, and uh, you know, I'm on the interstate, and I'm just driving, and I'm driving, and I'm thinking, no music. And I start, you know, contemplating in my own mind. I'm just, I'm just a nobody. I'm not, I'm not worth anything. I've, I've lost, I've lost everything. I've lost my house. I've lost, I'd lost a vehicle. I'd lost, I'd lost full, you know, I didn't have custody of my own kids. Uh, and I, I, I did get to still see my kids, but it was not the same. I mean, not even close to the same. And I just started having thoughts, you know. Now I can see what these thoughts were, but of you just need to run off into that ditch. And I mean, I was flying too. I was doing like eighty. You just might as well run off in that ditch. And uh, my my phone rang. And when I say literally right in the middle of these thoughts, my phone rings, and it's it's a friend of mine from the church, and uh, it's it's brother Jesse Gay, and he said, Chris, I just want you to know that I've been praying for you. I've been fasting this week, and I've been praying for you. And I want you to know that I love you, and God loves you. He knows right where you're at, and you're gonna. He's gonna see you through this. You know, He just gave me all these encouraging words, and I was like, "Whoo!" He didn't know. Yeah, he, he didn't know for years, but I knew. I knew right where I was at. I knew right what I was going through, and I'd have ran that truck right off in that ditch. I wasn't one bit afraid of it. Now a lot of people say, "Oh, I would have ran that truck off in that ditch." can't tell you the number of times I've I've faced things in my own mind and and I've just been praying God if you could just put my name on anybody's heart if my phone could I'd take a phone call from my mother-in-law to encourage me at this point (laughs) I mean there there have been so many so many times that I've just needed somebody to reach out to me and honestly I've never had one of those text messages I've never had one of those phone calls and the reason why I bring it up is because if you're out there and you're listening and you have a name that gets dropped on your heart, maybe you're running a route at FedEx like Tony or you're working up on a roof like Chris or you're um, at the post office sending an email like me or whatever it is that you do, if you're just going through your normal day and suddenly 
a name of somebody is dropped on you, it might not just be by some accident. It may not be by just some wondering thought, but you don't know whether or not that person might be praying, God, I just feel like I'm going to end it all if you don't just send somebody. If you can just send anybody in the world just to let me know that you care and that somebody, or at least that somebody out there cares, maybe that person's name that has been dropped on your spirit is the name of a person who's praying that prayer and God is wanting you to send that text message or make that phone call. And so I'm I'm imploring you as a listener to be sensitive to the leading of God's spirit, to to follow after him because you never know what oh what if I if I send that text message, they're gonna think I'm intruding in their life or they're, they're gonna think that I'm being presumptive presumptive about something they're facing you don't know what the prayer is they've been praying all night or all day or or what they're going through and how much just a simple text message of hey i'm thinking about you i'm praying for you what that can do to change somebody's life and save their soul brian in a prior episode with uh, brother david ayton he said that if you're struggling with something and you feel like you're not getting your answers pray to god that he would lay your name on an intercessor's prayer Absolutely. don't take that lightly no. if, if something's laid upon you to do do it I mean I encourage everybody if you've not listened to Brother Aiton's podcast go back and listen to it such great wisdom powerful man of God great wisdom for real man of God but I'm going to do something that we're not supposed to do Brian I'm going to plug another man's podcast um, The Restorationist with Brother Adam Shaw um, he has a interview, Chris, with um, who was it that he just recently interviewed? Oh, Brother Carson, Josh. Josh Carson. And the beginning of that podcast literally raised the hair on the back of my neck. And when you were just talking about your darkest time, it brought me back to the sermon that that uh, Adam Shaw clipped at the beginning of that podcast. He said that... Um, he was at home by himself, and he was laying on the floor, and he said, God, you're going to have to move this mountain. And God's answer was, maybe I want you to climb the mountain. Mm-hmm. Has there ever been a time in your life where you faced something that you didn't know you could get over, but you knew with God's grace and God's help it was conquerable? Finish the quote for me because I've, I've heard you quote it a hundred times. You don't need enough faith to move the mountain. You just need enough faith to move myself. I don't need enough faith to move a mountain. I just need enough faith to move myself. If you can, um, if you can get the the umph to just do something, go, get up, don't stay down, get up, reach up, grab a hold of somebody, trust somebody. Well, somebody's let me down. That's life. Get a hold of somebody, hold their hand, say, take me with you, and go. One of my favorite things that uh, I, I can't remember where I was, but I was in a service one time where the preacher said, raise your hand as high as you can reach it. And everybody put their hand up. Go and he higher. said, now go higher. Mm-hmm. He said, now wait a minute. I told you at the beginning to raise your hand as high as you can. Yeah. Could you imagine if we as apostolics reached as far and as hard as we could instead of just just acting like, you know, this is as high as I can do. This is the best I can do. So I was, I was in, it was in 2016. I'd had a, I'd woke up. I wasn't completely, I was in church. You know, I'm, I was in church. I was teaching Bible studies. I was doing my thing. I wasn't completely living 
uh, like I know I should have been living. And it was at probably it was in July 2016. I was woken uh I woke up at it's like 3:50 in the morning, almost four o'clock, right around four o'clock. And I got up and I, I sat up on my bed. In my mind, I knew God was fixing to speak to me. Mm. So I waited. And then I thought, I need to go use the bathroom. So I started to get up. And when I say the voice of God spoke to me, this is, this is for real. He said, your lack of commitment is leading others to their lack of repentance. And I said, what? And I, I sat back down and I put my hands on the edge of my bed. And I said, God, is that you? He said it again. Your lack of commitment is leading others to their lack of repentance. And I just sat there and cried and I ended up going back to sleep every day. Every day was in my mind. You're not committed. You're not fully committed. You're playing games. That person's gonna go to hell. That person's gonna go to hell. It was it was it was the most brutal, uh, mind-numbing, self-awakening. Oh, it was it was so inflicting in the inside of my mind that I'm just I'm not committed enough. I'm not committed enough. So this was in 2016. And um, I'm beginning to step it up at this time. I'm starting to realize that I need to teach Bible. I need to re- I need to do something. I've got to do something. I've got to do something. I I would reach out and witness. I would do these things. I, like, I got to do something. I got to do something. I, I'm not I'm not fulfilling my calling. I know God has called me. I'm not committed. I'm not committed. These people because I I, I will not fully commit. And this is the word of God. This is a word from God. So in. Um, September 2016, the first week, my pastor comes up, Brother Runyon. He he probably has no clue because I, I, I've kept up with this. He has no clue. I don't even think he remembers praying this. But he prayed a very specific prayer over me in the altar about how God wanted to use me. And God was going to use me in a very specific ministry. God was going to equip me to reach others and to teach Bible studies and to disciple. And he just went into this full detail prayer. And I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, let's do it. That's that's the first week. The second week, he came up and he prayed again. Same prayer. Prayed over me. Powerful. The third week, a man by the name of Gene Hux. (laughs) Gene Hux. I don't have a relationship with Gene Hux. This is probably one of the most powerful preachers you've ever heard. He is a natural born preacher uh, very but I, I I'm not friends with Gene Hux he goes to my church I wasn't friends with him he comes up and prays almost the same prayer my pastor had prayed over me now I don't know if they had had dialect or dialect or why Gene Hux would come pray for this prayer over me but he did so in my mind I was like Lord if you sent him to pray over me I know you're really trying to get me the fourth week I didn't get prayed over nothing happened Okay, so that ended out October or September, 2016. The first week of October, 2016, I go down to Destin, Florida. 
I go down there to, to, to a friend of mine's condo to do some work on it and to get away. I had been talking to Brother Jeff Arnold on the phone. I said, Brother Arnold, I'm going to come down there. I want to hang out with you. He's excited. Oh, yeah, Chris, come down here. You know, I got. we'll go get some groceries. Blah, blah. You know, we're going back and forth. And so I'm going down there, and he's like, I call him. I'm going to go to Gainesville to go to church service and go hang out with Brother Arnold. Well, he said that a man named Victor Jackson was coming to preach at his church. You know who Victor Jackson is? I said, I don't know who this dude is. I ain't never heard of a guy named Victor Jackson. This is back in 2016. I never heard of this guy. He said, come on down here. You know, so I go down there. It's popping service. This man, Victor Jackson, I won't go into detail about this sermon, but the sermon title is Transitions. And he tells a story of my life. Don't I never met Victor Jackson. Don't know this guy. He goes and tells this story of my life, how I'm stuck in Jonesboro and God has kept me in the valley for a specific reason and it's and it's a good thing that you fall in the valley because you better not fall off the mountaintop and he and he starts to talk about how God is going to push the impurities out of me and he's still working on me and he talks about how God has constrained me to a certain location in a certain area because he has a purpose for my life and I'm, I still remember this sermon like it's the back of my hand I can remember the look in his eyes I can remember every single it was like I'm, I can still see myself right there right now. After the sermon is over, it's powerful. A man named Brother, uh, Brother Martinez, Brother Arnold's right-hand man, comes down off. He's like a Cuban-looking guy. Comes down off the platform, lays his hand on me and prays for me. You know what he says? Same prayer my pastor prayed over me. Same prayer Gene Hux prayed over me. It's the will of God. So 2016 into 2017, I start to transition. God, God just starts to open up things in my life. Unbelievable. Am I still, am I still, you know, fighting to get by? Yeah, I'm still fighting to get by. But that was the big period where God just, boom, shifted everything. So way back in episode number one, I told Brother Harkin a story, and. Um, I want you, you just told the story, Chris, but I want you to say specifically what God woke you up telling you that very first night. Are you talking about when I, when I was saying that he spoke to me? Yeah, you're not. My lack of, my lack of commitment was leading others to their lack of repentance. And that, that, that brought you to a complete halt. So let me tell you this. I was at a prayer retreat, and uh, the guy who founded this prayer retreat, um, it was up in Illinois, and he he's terminally ill, and he they had a prayer line, and people was coming up and going through the prayer line, and he was laying hands on them and giving, you know, very highly respected man of God, served over 30 to 40 years in the Philippines as a uh, missionary and came back and pastored a church in uh, the Illinois district. And he said something to me, Chris, that just made me stop in my tracks, just like when you were woke up. Mm -hmm. He said, what are you doing for the kingdom? And for as a pastor's kid who's been in church his whole life not to be able to answer that, something's wrong. Something's wrong, Chris. So I decided I was going to come home, and I was going to find something to do for the kingdom. And I really feel like that is vital and very important that we all find our place to build the kingdom. Absolutely. Not our kingdom, but the kingdom. The kingdom 
whenever Brother Bernard was here, um, about what, two years ago now, he said something in his uh, PI class that I really grasped onto. Uh, he said the church unemployment rate should be at 0%. Mm-hmm. How vital is it, in your opinion, to stay plugged into the church? It is everything. It is, it is absolutely everything. Um, and, you know, here's, here's the thing is that sometimes we as the church say, find your place in the church. We're going to help you find your place in the church. It's not always that easy. It's just not. I mean, how long did it take you guys to get the podcast started? How long have you been in church? How many podcasts have we all listened to before you, you – and now how, how many people have you touched through the podcast? I'm not saying this is your calling. I'm just saying things like that. Uh, uh, it is absolutely vital that you – you know, here's a good way to find your place in the church is go, God, where do you want me? Where do you want me? I'm not talking about talents. Where do you want me? How can I, how can I assist you? What can I do for you? Um, you, you know, right now, I'm, I'm, I teach in the children's center. I'm not a kids teacher. <laughs> I'm not a kids teacher. But you know what, man? I love those kids. And 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 just the other day, one of the the rowdiest kids in our whole entire kids center. He lives. He lives. He did live in the most absolute worst part of our, our city, Cedar Heights Drive. He's right there in the middle of it. And he comes up to me and he says, Chris, I started doing boxing lessons. I started doing boxing lessons. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus, that you've put him in a, in a position to where, you know, a lot of people would go, he don't need to be doing that. He don't need to be doing that. And, and I have a different perspective on that. I say, yes, absolutely. Put that boy in there and they're going to teach him respect. Well, let, gonna, me, let me let me interject right here because let me tell you what sports taught me as a child. Brian, take a back seat here. <laughs> Dude, this guy was nothing to do with sports. Me. But let me tell you what sports did for me as a child. It taught you how to win and it taught you how to lose. Yep. I'll never forget whenever we were playing. I forget where we were playing at, but I'll never forget what the coach said to me specifically. He said, I, I was so defeated over losing a game. It was because of me. And to be honest with you, I think it was my pastor. I, I was going to a Christian school, and um, it was I was so down on myself, and my chin was down. And he said, he poked me right in the chest and took his two fingers and lifted my chin up and said, learn how to lose. Yeah, absolutely. So it's very vital, very vital 100%. to have structure. It is. And, and you know, and this kid is just uh, – I'm not going to put his name out there because he's a kid, but he's just – to me, he's he has so much potential, uh, you know, and you always see the potential in people. But, um, but you know what I've noticed is that I took time, and I put interest in this boy, who society has just scraped off their plate like unwanted garbage, and 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 and, and he has trouble fitting in because he is straight up hood, and he's taught, he's taught lessons from that neighborhood that are not socially acceptable in the church and while a lot of people push him away uh, a lady named Kim Ramsey has poured into my life and taught me uh, on the side how to reach in and, and pull that little boy in uh, how to love people just go do something love somebody 
So it's in, it's vitally important that you plug into the church, you know, and, and if you're committed to the church, it may take just a little while. God will find you a place. God will find you something to do. And, and, and here, here's some advice from me. If you can't find anything to do in the church, it's you're not looking. You're not looking. <laughs> I guarantee you in our church, there's plenty of places you can paint, you can sweep, you can run a vacuum, and, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, when you think about the book and that you are serving not only the most high God, the only God, the only one, and you get to do things for him and his kingdom and serve his people, there is, there is not a height more attainable. There is nothing greater than that. That is the highest level in the kingdom is that I'm here and I get to do something. I'm kind of offended over here with it because Tony says I don't have any involvement in sports. <laughs> I will have you know that I have gone to four jiu-jitsu classes <laughs> in the last couple of weeks. Yes. Because of this podcast, has motivated me to go um, take care of myself more physical, in a physical way. And so that's where I've been going for some cardio. And, and I will say that there are so many different things involved in that that relates to things of the spirit, like the importance of tapping out. <laughs> Because, you know, here's a lot of things. People will talk about submission to God. Uh, that means you got to tap out. If you don't submit, you get broken. And so in those classes, I mean, it teaches you, uh, yeah, we're taught how to lose. And then, of course, I've never won yet because I've only been going for uh, four <laughs> lessons. But, I mean, I, I was in there with a guy. Um, he tapped me out. And whenever he did, dude, he, like, celebrated for a second. He's like, dude, I'm sorry. I just don't, I don't, I don't tap people out very often. And, and, you know, <laughs> and, so, <laughs> there goes your ego, bub. No, I mean, I don't have ego to begin with whenever I walk in there. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I mean, I understand where I'm at. I mean, I understand my belt so wide it's clear, it's more see-through than this water bottle I've got beside <laughs> me. And like I said, but the thing is, is where he's at, I mean, he's in a position where it had it taught him to be thankful over be, Tapping me out means nothing. Tapping me out is the easiest thing in the world to I've do. I've been there thousands of times. But being able to do it, I mean, he was able to celebrate over something that was so small like that. And like I said, there's just so many different things in that that can relate into things of the Spirit. Before we run out of time, though, um, and I know Chris probably wants to say something on this subject, but I want to go down a rabbit trail real quick before um, we wrap up tonight. Oh, good. Chris is fine with me. Go ahead and wrap it here. No, no, you go on. Um, Let's go. So, Chris, you've had a lot of mentors in your life, and some of them have let you down. I could call a few names here, um, people that you worked with that were people that would speak in your life about how you, you're like a fire starter, that, that you're going to ignite this city, mm-hmm. and, and, and they've kind of walked away. Mm-hmm. And, and you, through all that, we've had the t- conversations about how when you see other people walk away from the truth or they've backslid, the people that, that you looked up to, the people that you, you wanted to speak into your life, that they've kind of fallen away. The thing is about it, it isn't deter your faith but it motivates you to be more real. And I want to talk for a moment about the importance of being real because anybody in the world can be fake. It takes no effort to be fake. But being real, it it takes some commitment. It takes some faith. It takes some following after God. And I want you to talk to us. And, and Tony, I want to bring you in the conversation. And and I want to spend a little time tonight talking to, to our listeners about being authentically apostolic. 
Well, here's the deal about you talked about bringing out points of fighting. This is a fight. This is a much more real fight in the spirit than what it is in the natural. Um, let me put things in perspective for for everybody. If I go around and I put off this persona that I am a fighter, I'm a fighter, I'm a fighter, I can fight. But, you know, and, and maybe I've been in a few scraps, but most of the time you can tell when somebody really is. Most of the time people who are real fighters they're not going around telling everybody, "I'm a fighter. I'm a fighter. I've been in, I've been in a hundred fights. I'm a fighter." They're not. They're not even talking about it. Uh, they're too busy training. They're too busy doing it, than actually going around trying to put a bluff in with somebody. Um, so, the, the 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 danger is, is when you're not a real fighter, and you have said you're real, and you run up against opposition. You run up against someone who checks you and says, let's fight right now. Because in the spirit, uh, this is going to cross over. Oh, first off, in the natural, when this person checks you, you know, regardless of if it was like maybe my MMA days or my street fighting days, when somebody says, hey, let's do it, I had to say, any place, anytime, anywhere, let's rock and roll. I'm ready to go. We can. Is there one of you? Is there... Uh, two on one, that's more fun. Bring three. Uh, that's just more people for me to either get whooped by or fight with. And it extends the time frame. I get to have fun. This is not something I do because I'm mad. This is something I do because I love it. Uh, I, that's that's was my mind frame when I was doing that. Well, this crosses over to the spirit because this is a fight. And if you go around claiming you're Christian, you go around claiming, yeah, I'm apostolic, and you don't really understand what you're engaged in, you know, the enemy can just come and sweep your feet right out from under you and put you down on the ground. And I, I have this – I got time to go on this? Yeah. A lot of times in my Bible studies I tell this – I learned this some years ago. It's called uh, – Tony, I don't know if I've ever talked to you about this. It's called the Tale of Two Trees. Brian, you know about this, right? It's the Tale of Two Trees. Have you ever heard about this? Tell two trees, and there's there's two trees in the garden. Uh, there's the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And the tree of life, man, that's good. You can eat of that. But God said of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, is, uh, you should not eat of that tree. That's not your tree. That's his tree. He didn't say that, but that's that's the that's the deal. And a lot of times, you know, you could equate the tree of life to the kingdom of God and the things of God and the spirit of God. But that tree of knowledge of good and evil, your old ways, the world, your old lifestyle, things you should not be dabbling in. And when you come to an apostolic church, those of you who don't know about an apostolic church, when you come to an apostolic church, it is totally different than other churches. It is set apart. It is a higher level. And I'm not just saying that. I'm not saying that to act like we're better than anybody. I'm telling you that God's church, the true church, is at a higher level. There are spiritual things that goes on here. And when, you, when someone who, whether they've been in church for six months or 16 years, when they come in and they partake of the things of God, they don't really realize it, but they've stepped foot onto the battlefield. They, they, are, they are a soldier in the fight, regardless of whether they know it or not. 
they are in the battle. And when you're engaged in the kingdom of God and you're partaking of the things of God and you're having a good Sunday night service and you're kicking around spirits and maybe you don't even know you're doing it. You're just going around, you're, you're, you're casting stuff out and you're claiming things in Jesus' name and you're, you've got the fire of the Holy Ghost and you partake the things of the kingdom of God. And then you, you slip up. Uh, you, you forget that you had that good, what we would call tongue-talking experience. You forget that you had that good shout-down on Sunday night. And time goes by, and you forget, and you go back to your old lifestyle. It could be one month. It could be five years down the road. And you go back to that tree of knowledge and good and evil, and you partake of that thing. You have forgot about your enemy. You have forgot. You turned your back. And here they are. They, You know what, Tony? They watch what you watch. They go where you go, Brian. They just look. They, you know, when you're when you're at home, and and I'm I'm talking to somebody. When you're at home and, and it's nighttime and you're by yourself, guess what? They're looking at your phone with you. These spirits that you beat up on, they're in the they're still in the fight. You know, you cast them out. Hey, you know where do they go? And you slip up, and you you know you you take time off, whatever whatever it is. And when you do that. You go back to that tree of knowledge of good and evil. Here is that, here is the opposing enemy at that tree ready to wreak havoc. That is why it is of the utmost importance that you try uh, your best to stay in the fight, to keep your eyes open, to, 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 stay, to try to stay attentive to what's going on around you. You know, I have a saying, pay attention to what's going on around you. Pay attention, pay attention. And I get that from roofing because, I mean, you make you make the wrong step on a roof, you might fall off. Just pay attention to what's going on around you. Stay in the fight. This is, this is, this crosses over. This is, uh, this is, this is a different fight. You know, I'm not fighting against flesh and blood. I'm fighting against principalities and powers and darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. So I got to fight a little bit different now. I, I might, instead of, instead of getting mad at somebody who curses me in the church, I might go teach a Bible study. I'm not going to get mad and cuss somebody out. I'm going to go win a soul. That's what I'm going to do. So you have to you have to take the fight uh, to 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 a, a different dimension. I went to a neighborhood. I, I was picking up some kids from a neighborhood to bring them to church, and and their, their parents wouldn't let them come. And I felt I felt right there. I felt checked. I knew there was some spiritual opposition. There was alcoholism going on in the house. There was drugs going on in the house, and I got so mad. And I was, you know, I was in our old Dodge church van. And I gripped that steering wheel and I said, oh, I'm so mad. And I switched it up. I said, okay, devil. All right. Those kids, you got those kids. I'll knock every door out here. I'll knock every door in this apartment complex. I'll win 20 souls because you took three. And I'm not saying they he took those three, but that was my conversation. I'm fixing, I'm fixing to tattoo it on you. I'm going to knock every door out here. I'll win, I'll win every soul I can out here because the fight changes. I, I don't fight it the way we used to. This is a spiritual battle. Well, I, I was over here looking up a – I went back to high school literature with Mr. Nicholas Grossman while you were talking, and um, that was my literature teacher in high school. And I, there was a quote, and I finally found it while you were talking, and – Brian, you were talking about 
the importance of being authentic. And the, the quote is by Henry David Thoreau. And the quote is, we are constantly invited to be who we are. And in prior conversations we've had, God's called us all for a specific reason. He didn't call Chris Taylor to be Anthony Mangan. We've got Anthony Mangan. Sure. He didn't call Tony Goforth to be Paul Mooney. We've got Paul Mooney. He's awesome. I mean, God's called us all for a specific reason, and especially in the church of the 21st century, mm. where we're so confused about who we are or who we should be. Yeah. There's, there's now on the birth certificate process of male, female, or unspecified. Mm-hmm. We are called by God for specific reasons, and for those reasons alone, we, we owe it to God to be authentic, Brian. Mm-hmm. God doesn't just call everybody and anybody. He's called me for a specific reason. And that's why I, I love doing these conversations because we don't know. Brian, we do feel like this is a calling that we've had. We just we didn't know how to, to even get it started, like you said. Mm-hmm. And the authenticity of, uh, of, of conversations like this we don't know the importance that it does help people. And that's what I can genuinely appreciate about being an apostolic that's authentic. When you said that you, you told the devil, hey, you took these three, I'll, I'll tattoo it on you. I'll go, I'll go knock every single door in this complex. Could you imagine if we all had that mentality? I, no, no, no. We're all shaking our head right now. Just really think about that. If we were so mad about what the enemy has taken from us that we're willing to go back and take it back. No telling. Mm. Brian, give me your perspective of authenticity. All I can say is just amen to both of you gentlemen that uh, I agree with both with, with both of you. It, there, there's no time to be real like the present. If you've been hiding behind a mask, if you've been fake, if, you, if you're you out there and you're saying, well, there, there's been some inconsistencies in the way I've been living and, and who I am behind closed doors is not who I am out in front. Or if you're a preacher and who you're, you are in the pulpit isn't who you are outside of the pulpit. We've talked about the number of hours that you're here in church. In church, you spend about uh, six hours a week at church. The rest of your week is spent out in the world. If you're different out in the world than you are in church, and people throw out the, the term of, of hypocrisy, and, and in reality, there's no other term for it. Mm. But we've got to be authentic. We've got to be real, and we've got to be real. Who you, and here, here's the thing. Let's be honest. It's just us. Who you are when no one's watching is who you really are. Oh, but, but there's who you are in secret when you think no one's watching, is who you really are. This is as apostolic as it gets right here. Your, if you're, your wife knows who you really are. Who you are at home is who you really are. And so what do you want to be? Do you want to be the person that sneaks around on their phone late at night or mm-hmm. has, creeps around and, and direct messages to people or trying to connect with people from your past life? Is that who you want to be? dabbling around with immorality and you think nobody's watching or nobody's going to know and and as long as I just keep it secret everything's going to be all right is that who you really want to be do you really want to spend your entire life 
and shadows. I'm not suggesting to you to be who you are in, in the shadows. I'm saying let's come to the light. I'm saying let's get connected to God. I say it's time to be the apostolic that you are called to be because there's not a person out there that's listening to this that isn't called by God to do something. Every one of us is called to be a minister for Jesus Christ. Every one of us is called to minister to somebody. And if you want to be effective in the kingdom of God, my friend, it's not going to happen with inconsistencies. We are destroying a generation of young people whenever they're looking up to our generation and they see inconsistencies in our life. Chris, how effective could you be of discipling people in this church if you were dabbling around with the things that you're telling them, don't touch that, but then they find out that you did it? That's, that's the scariest thing. That's the scariest thought uh, is, is that some type of hypocrisy comes out. Uh, and when you're, God forbid, when you're discipling people, if that happens, that would be crushing. That would that would that would let's, that would make some. That, that's what makes a lot of people. Let's go ahead and get real. Let's let's get. We we're into the meat. Let's get to the bone now. We're all guilty. I've been there. I, I've I've straight up. Uh, <laughs> I can tell you how many times. For me, it makes me want to be real. I I hate falling. I hate losing. I I hate to have spoke to somebody about the the truth of God and then mess up. I hate it. It, it kills me. I, and I, I've, I'll be the first to admit, uh, Brian, you've, you've seen me. You've seen me to, <laughs> to where I lost it. I, I lost it. And you had to say, Chris, stop. Chris, stop. And it's mutual because you've, been, you've called me up before and been like, what's this stuff I hear about? You went out of town to St. Louis and, and you were listening to all this horrible music and, and you were you were cussing or something. I was like, oh no, Chris, I wasn't cussing. What about the music? Well, let's not talk about that. I mean, there have been times Chris has. Are had we to just call making a full carpet. circle talking about how important it is to have someone in your life to hold you accountable to? You have to have that. The, I mean, every time that I get done preaching, and mm-hmm. this is kind of getting off subject. It's not off subject. It's still on subject. But every time I get done preaching, the next day, you know who I call? Chris, and I say, Chris. Tell me what I did right. Tell me what I did wrong. And, and there's not, I don't call anyone else. Chris is the only person I call. And I ask him, tell me, what did I miss? Did I not connect with somebody like I should have? Because Chris and I, I know that we're both students of the word. We're students of preaching. And so I trust his opinion on that. And like I said, I don't, there's nobody else right now in my life that I call and I say, tell me, what did I miss? What did I do wrong? Why is that? Because I want to be better. And I have a bias about myself, whether that be positive or negative. The overwhelming majority of the time for myself, I have a negative bias against myself. I always think I do the worst job ever. And so I need somebody that's got my back who's going to speak honestly with me. If, if I do horrible, he's going to tell me, hey, that was terrible. But if I do good, he's going to tell me. And that's the reason why I trust him. And because So how am I going to get better is I've got to have that positive. I've got to have feedback sometimes critical sometimes very positive otherwise that never develops and then you take that into every facet of your life you don't know how many times he's called me up and said brian i don't want to hear about it anymore i don't want to hear about preaching i don't want to hear about any of that go in a soul just shut up and go in a soul quit complaining about what's going on at the church quit complaining about who did this who said that who isn't doing this what you're doing and how that's supposed to be shut up 
just go win a soul. Go win a soul, then come back and talk to me. And there's not many people in my life that are honest enough to be like, dude, dude, just stop. You're worrying about the wrong things. You're worrying about the wrong things. It's time to be real. And why are you doing what you're doing? Because if you're not winning souls, something's not right. Mm. That's the truth. You know, that comes back to, in my opinion, apostolic authority. Being apostolic, you have some authority that over the this world and over your yourself that not just anybody has. You you are called. It may not be to hold a microphone. It may not be to to hold a title, but that does not mean you're not called to be an apostle. Hundred percent. You know, we're six minutes over on what we would say we were gonna wrap up, but I'm glad we're having this conversation. Can we just get a little bit bolder? Can we get a little bit more blunt? I mean, we've we've been we've been walking people into this. Now let's start really getting into some meat. Chris, I want you to speak honestly to the the listeners out there about the importance of being real and the importance of, of soul winning, the importance of discipleship, the importance of being who you say you are, the importance whatever it is that you feel like, man, there's something that people need to honestly hear. I want you to speak very honestly to our listeners out there. Well, I'll, I'll say this. What is the most recent topic in our world today? What's the most recent topic? Mass shootings. Mm-hmm. Mass shootings. You, you better know now is the time to be real. There are people out there. It doesn't, it, it doesn't matter if it's mass shootings. It doesn't matter if it's somebody who's injecting methamphetamine. It doesn't matter if it's a single mom who's struggling. They are depending on you to be real. Not try to be real. Jesus never said, I'll try. Not one time. He just did it. I'm not, I'm not saying no one is exempt from falling. That's what you've said before. No one is exempt from falling. But you have to realize when you fall, uh, regardless of who you are, when you fall, you cause other people to fall. And with the world and the shape that it's in right now, with, with people, are they don't know it. <laughs> you remember that old country song? Looking for love in all the wrong places. No, I do not. <laughs> looking for, that's oh, sorry. I uh, know what song you're talking about. They're please. looking, they're looking for something. People, people who are committing murders and it's not only the mass murders it's 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 crime sprees it's armed robberies i gotta get something i gotta get money i i got i want people to know who i am i have a friend who i follow he's a power lifter and he's and he lifted this super heavy weight and he said everybody's gonna know who i am I want somebody to know who he is man god knows who you are mm-hmm. it's it is the one of the most vital roles as a christian is to be real but how do you be real? How do you be real when your whole life you've, you've only lived fake? How do you be real when your whole life you've wanted to be like somebody else? How do you get to a place in your life where you flip a switch and you say, I'm going to be who God has called me to be? Yep. How do you get to that point? And, and why do you need to be at that point? So here's, here's how you get to that point. You need to have 
honest conversation with the king. Yeah. Stop right there, Chris. I'm over here biting my tongue right now because I'm so passionate about what I'm about to say. Sometimes what you feel like you've heard from God seems crazy. There's a story in the Bible that if it happened to me, I would have told God, you crazy. I'm out of here. There was a man in the Bible by the name of Jehoshaphat. He heard that a mighty army was coming against him. And instead of preparing to fight, he prepared his army to praise. Mm -hmm. Could you imagine God telling you the war, of your, the war of your life is getting ready to happen? Praise me anyway. I've been there. Yeah. My God. Sometimes when you have that real talk with the king like you were just talking about, you may not get what you want to hear, but it is so vital that we follow what God has said and the direction we've been given. Chris, um, we want to give you an opportunity to make any plugs for any recommended reading you have. And after that, we'd like to give you a final word a chance to sh share whatever's on your heart. I'm going to recommend one book, Follow to Lead, Stan Gleason. If you want to kind of know about who I am, my direction, that's a good book. That's a good book. You want to know about a direction God can give you? Follow to Lead, Stan Gleason. A, a, a good guy to just, uh, you know, um, listen to your pastor. You need to, you need to listen to your pastor. You need to, you need to follow your pastor's lead. But uh, Stan Gleason has got some good stuff when it comes to soul winning, when it comes to discipleship. One of the most underrated men in our organization. <laughs> He's unbelievable. He, he don't know me, but I know him. <laughs> Same here. He, he don't know me, but I know him. I, I went to a conference not too long ago, and I told Brian, I was texting him a couple years ago. I said, dude, this Stan Gleason guy is on point. Oh, yeah. He's, he's, uh, he's amazing. Chris, hit us with what's on your heart right now. Give us a final word. Spe really speak to our listeners right here. Uh, something that's been on my heart lately has been self-control and consistency. Self-control and consistency. For me, um, I, I have a friend. I won't mention his name. He's new in the church. Uh, he's only been around for a little over a year. He come in guns blazing in the church. This guy, let me tell you a little bit about this guy real quick. He's been in jail in, Cra in Craighead County, not to mention the counties around here, 36 times. Uh, and he's only like 32. 36 times. He's been to all four of the major prisons in Arkansas. Cummins, Wrightsville, Varner, and Brickies. Absolutely, this guy is as tough as nails. He's as tough as it gets. Um, I won't go into details about him. He's fought an addiction. He's been to numerous rehabs. He don't know his potential. He still don't know his potential. And I, I witnessed to this guy. Can I tell this story real quick? Just give me five minutes. Give me five more minutes. It's a Musicians come. Musicians, help me out. Get me out of this mess. <laughs> um, he, he comes to service. He comes in our church on a, on a Monday night. We don't have church on Monday nights. We're here because a special guest speaker is here. Uh, a, a man who is, who, among many people, 
is highly regarded in our movement. Not all, but many people. This is a highly regarded man. And for some reason, when this man comes or another man that is like him, weird stuff happens. Okay? Uh, a missionary came one time and weird stuff happened like this. So, so in the back door of the church, this, it's a Monday night, it's a special service, comes this guy, haven't seen him since I was a kid. And he is dried up and he's just methed out of his mind. He, he doesn't know where he's at. He's brought into our sanctuary by our pa pastor's son, Brock. And he locks eyes with me and he just starts weeping bawling his eyes out. And I know who he is immediately. He comes up, gives me a big hug. He says, I don't know how I got here. I don't even know what I'm doing here. I remember this service specifically, and out of respect for him, we won't mention his name. Yeah. But he was controlling, or sweeping so uncontrollably, he was making people around him uncomfortable. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, and another thing that made people uncomfortable that people don't know about is that uh, another man in our church said, he's got a gun. He's got a gun. And, and he took a gun out of his waistband and stuck it in his backpack and walked in with it. So people are now concerned. They don't know him. I know him. I locked eyes with him. And he knows me. And it, it, at this time, it's fine. So I'm praying with him. And he's going, I don't know how I got here. I don't know what I'm doing here. Well, he walked out of the woods <laughs> and out to our church. Well, I said, well, tell me what happened. He said, he said that his wife had cheated on him. He left his mom's. He's going to his wife's place to kill her, to kill the guy, and then kill himself. And he walks out in front of our church. He comes into our church, and he, he's, he said, there's people here. And he comes in, well, here am I. And there's another person here who knows him, and God cleans his clock. So this begins a journey. This begins a process with him of where I'm trying to disciple him. And pastor, pastor's doing things behind the scene with him that nobody knows about trying to help him and he's up and down up and down up and down up and down so he goes on a a a, a tirade of stealing he's blowing his veins shooting up meth he is out he's been kicked out of a, two rehabs he's kicked out of the first one i had to go down there with tim and pick him up he lasted four days in mississippi we go down there and pick him up and bring him back he goes to another rehab now this is where i'm fixing it i'm, I'm going to close this out he goes to another rehab he gets. He leaves this rehab on his own. He thinks, you know, one of the things I that he is. I always tell him is, I say, your way doesn't work. His way always works, and that's something that I have to tell myself. Chris, your way does not work. It's his way or the highway. His way works. So I'm telling him this. You know, you you got to stop leaving these rehabs. They they're going to help you. Oh, I got into it with the owner. This 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 guy that runs his rehab. Well, so, so he goes out. He's gone. I lost. I lost my disciple. I lost my friend. I can't do nothing about it. That's fine. So we have a, 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 a night at the church where it's the night pastor got elected as, as district presbyter. And there's a man who is a pastor of the church from Corning. And I said, you pastor the church in Corning? Do you remember my friend? And I told him his name. And he goes, no. And I showed him a picture. He said, yeah. He says, as a matter of fact, he said, that guy, he said he was teaching a Bible study. He's trying to teach a Bible study because he don't know the Bible. <laughs> He's trying to teach a Bible study to the guy who runs the rehab about Jesus' name baptism. And he left. And I said, yeah. And he said, uh, 
He said, where is that guy? I said, I don't know. He's, he's, he's backslid. He's gone. He's, he's left. And he said, tell him that guy came to our church, and I finished that Bible study, and he got the revelation of the mighty God in Christ. We baptized him in Jesus' name. I, I don't remember if he said he got filled with the Holy Ghost, but I said, are you serious? He had planted that seed, forgot about it didn't even get to see it harvest so i'm telling my friends you get a hold of him and tell him to get a hold of me so finally getting back in here and telling him what happened and it clicked and he said this is this is it this is my calling i'm coming to the church of god i'm coming in here so i gave him two words this has been months ago i said i want you to have self-control and be consistent well when i told him that I felt the Holy Ghost check me and say, no, you have self-control, and you be consistent. So that has been what's weighed on me, is self-control and consistency. Self-control of what? Self-control of my emotions. Self-control of my mouth. Self-control of my actions. Uh, consistency of what? Consistency in the workplace consistency uh, of what I do roofing and the people that I talk to because that ultimately reflects on my walk with God. So with those two things to me, not only, you know, do you need to be a soul winner? You need to, you, you know, you, you need to live for God. You need to have a, a relationship with God. You need to be prayerful. These are things that are uh, key aspects, but you need to have self-control and you need to be consistent. I always say um, when, I'm, when I'm taking a person, say they're homeless, they have to have four walls. The four walls are food, shelter, um, clothing, and a vehicle. Those are your four walls. Crossing over into the spirit, you need to have church. You need to have the word. You need to have prayer, and you need to have fasting. And your foundation is your relationship with the one God. If I'm going to leave somebody with something, that's what I'm going to leave you with. You need to have you need to go to church. You need to have the church. You need to have the word. You need to be prayerful. You need to find out about doing a little bit of fasting. Okay? You need to lose weight anyway, so you need to do some <laughs> fasting. And that needs to be built on the foundation, which is God himself. Tony, you have anything you want to add? This in? has been a real, real crucial conversation tonight, Brian. It has. I want to say one final thing going back to one of the things we were talking about about the importance of being real and being honest and I asked you to speak very honestly I asked you to speak very bluntly and there in the conclusion of this conversation I'm going to do that is that Chris how many Bible studies do you teach a week about fairies it's been on normal 5 to 10 5 to 10 5 to 10 Nor normal consistently 5 to 10 Bible studies a week how many pastors out there are probably praying, God, I, I'm praying for the next great soul winner to come to my church. And the thing is, they're coming to your church. They may not look like you. They may not talk like you. But if we can mentor these people, if we can disciple these people, if we can teach Bible studies to these people, we're going to have incredible revival. Here's the thing. To every listener that's out there, you may say, hey, I'm an imperfect vessel. I don't know everything there is to know. Hey, I'm going to let you know. I don't know everything there is to know. I'm an imperfect vessel. Chris is an imperfect vessel. Absolutely. But he's trying with everything that he's got. Jesus commanded us 
to go and make disciples. It is a command of Jesus Christ. And being disobedient unto that, that would be a sin. Because Mm. you're missing the mark of Jesus Christ. He says this is the goal. This is what you're, you're aiming to do is make disciples. And if you don't do that, you miss the mark. And that is literally what the, the word sin means in Greek. It means to miss the mark. Now, I'm not telling anybody out there, if you're not actively trying to disciple people and, and win souls, that you're going to hell. But I am telling you that somebody is. Oof. Somebody is. It may not be you. But the person you were called to disciple and the co- person you were called to teach a Bible study to, the person you were meant to pray for in the altar, the, me- the person you were supposed to share the light of the gospel with, that person is. How much more honest do we need to be about being real and doing what Jesus has called us to do? Thank you for listening, and this has been a Crucial Conversation.